Hello and welcome. You've tuned into the School of Ministry podcast. Paul is your Bible teacher today. He has years of experience as a pastor, seminary instructor, and more. Later, you will be given information how to reach us. If you have questions you would like addressed, let us know. Maybe you have a need in your life and want to know how the Bible gives answers that apply to us today. Feel free to contact us. Now enjoy the lesson. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Luke chapter 1. And I'm going to begin reading about verse 39 just to 41. We're going to stay here. I'm going to give you a lot of other scriptures, but we'll pretty much stay right in this section. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, beginning in verse 39. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to the city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to stop right there because this message really began as I was moved and uh, been so encouraged by Ephesians chapter 2 verse 14. It says, He is our peace who has broken down the middle wall of separation. And I've been thinking on this. I've been working on that. What is the whole issue of Christ being our peace? And thinking about Isaiah's announcement in Isaiah 9 and 6 that Christ would be called the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of His government and peace, there should be no end. Many of you remember Handel's Messiah, and maybe you can't get along without thinking when you read Isaiah 9 and 6, and you think of that, those beautiful tunes that go along right from the Scripture. Well, today our world does not know peace, nor has there been any more than a few years respite in between after we've had war and war here and there and throughout the world. So what is taking place in our world has to cause us to ask, what is this peace? What is it that Christ would give peace? That this is a season for peace among men. What of those that have lost loved ones? Maybe this year. Those that during this season and this time when there was so much festivities and so much going on that now a beloved family member isn't going to be there. Or maybe those that have lost jobs. The feeling of insecurity the feelings that you're not able to give others what you would really like. Or maybe there are some that think that this whole Christmas season, the whole holiday season, has a very sad connotation, a very sad spirit about it. There are many that just can't wait till the holidays are over, and I understand that. Earl Weiler wrote, Christmas is a bitter day for mothers who are poor. The wistful eyes of children are daggers to endure. Though shops are crammed with playthings, and not for everyone, if a mother's purse is empty, there might as well be none. My purse is full of money, but I cannot buy a toy, only a wreath of holly for the grave of my little boy. 
seasons like this intensify the sadness because we anticipate great joy. For other people, Christmas is a time maybe of saying thanks. It was uh, G.K. Chesterton that made this remark that he said, when we were children, we were grateful to those who filled our stockings with toys at Christmas tide. Why are we not grateful to God for filling our stockings with legs? We have much to be thankful for. We have so much that we can think about. So what a way to begin a Christmas message. <laughs> to look at the negative, the hurting, the lack of peace around us, no peace within, no peace without. But is that really true? So what I want to do is look at the right attitude that should accompany the response to the birth of Christ. And we're going to take two weeks, Lord willing, to go through all of this. Let's begin with this very special woman that we just read about. Her name is Elizabeth. She is the cousin to Mary who had in her womb none other but John the Baptist. Mary went to be with Elizabeth and told Elizabeth that she was to be the mother of the Messiah. Now every young woman in Israel dreamed, hoped to be mother of Messiah. And Elizabeth responded, and as we've just read, she was filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me pick up and read verse 42 through 45. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. I'm going to stop right there. Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, knows that the Lord had sent a messenger, had given Mary the message that she was going to bring about the birth of Messiah, the Christ. And so what was the very response of Elizabeth at the announcement of this birth of Christ? Very simply, she says, Blessed, blessed, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Blessed, blessed, blessed. It wasn't that Mary was blessed. It was that Mary was the recipient of God's blessings. Sometimes we get things a little turned around. Now let's go on to meet the next important individual in our thoughts. And as we look down, let me just jump down to about verse 64, also in Luke chapter 1. And let's look at this man that's named Zacharias. He is a priest. He is the father of John the Baptist and the husband of Elizabeth. Now it says in verse 64, and immediately his mouth was open, if you remember, because he had been told by the angel that a great child would be given them, and he did not believe, so he was stricken dumb. As he had written the name out, his name would be John. Immediately now his tongue is loosed. Then fear came on all those who dwelt around them. And all these sayings were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all those who heard them kept them in their hearts, saying, What kind of child will this be? 
and the hand of the Lord was with him. So here's all the word that's going around. What kind of child is this going to be already? There was something that the people were anticipating. They were looking for something very great. And look at verse 67. Now his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying... So there we meet Zacharias. His father filled with the Holy Spirit and he's prophesying. Now, here's this response to the blessed, tremendous event. What does he say in verse 68? Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation to us in the house of his servant David. Was his first reaction, blessed, blessed be God. What was Elizabeth's reaction? Blessed, blessed, blessed is our Lord God. That should be the response as we recognize this. Let's go to another group. Chapter 2, beginning in verse 8 through verse 13. And we meet the angel. Chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. Now when there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign unto you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Now notice verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill to men. Can you just imagine this? Here's, suddenly there was with his angel a whole host of heaven saying, Glory to God in the highest. It's praising God. That's the response of the angelic host. That's the response of all of the angels. They cry out, Glory to God in the highest. Glorifying God. It's the same as Zacharias. It's the same as Elizabeth. But what about the shepherds? What was their reaction? They came, they saw Mary, Joseph, and the baby in chapter 2, verse 20. It says, verse 20, Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. They saw the Christ. They had seen the angels, the angel message. And oh, the shepherds returned glorifying, praising God. So now we've seen Elizabeth, blessed, blessed, blessed be the Lord God. Zacharias, blessed be the Lord God. The angels crying glory to God in the highest. And now the shepherds praising God for this great. If you know me, you know I love to mention that the angels did not sing Glory, <laughs> well, I can't sing. <laughs> In excelsis Deo. They never sang Latin. The angels don't sing. Angels only say, it's the redeemed who sing in heaven. 
the angels speak, they were claiming, they were saying, glory to God in the highest. And what would have happened had angels come speaking and singing in Latin to Jewish shepherds? Remember, Latin was the language of the Romans that were the occupiers, the language of the enemy. <laughs> well, I love to just remind people of that, that it was never in Latin that they sang out. But sometimes we are reminded from those old hymns from the Reformation. We think, well, maybe that's just the way it was. Ah, the glory of God shone around them. The angel and the angelic host all around those shepherds. But then, according to the law, Mary, after 40 days of purification, we meet two more individuals in verse 25 of chapter 2. Sometime that time has passed, we meet Simeon, who comes on the scene. Verse 25 of chapter 2. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Have we seen how many times the Holy Spirit was accompanying these people? And what does he say? And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And so he came by the Spirit into the temple and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, that he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now let your now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. How beautiful, how wonderful. So now we've seen the same response. He blessed God. And he recognized this was the work of God. There's another person we want to look at. And I'm trying to get through very quickly because there's so much here. But in verse 36, there's another person at the temple. There was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phenuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fasting and prayers night and day. And coming in at that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of Him to all those who looked for the redemption in Jerusalem. Simeon was looking for the consolation of Israel. Here Anna is speaking to those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. So now we see this prophetess, this widow, and it says in verse 38, and coming in at that instant, she gave thanks. She praised God. She blessed God. Isn't it amazing? Everyone who comes into the presence of the Christ blesses God, thanks God. You know, in the Greek manuscript, it adds Something like this. It adds the word likewise. So that in that instant, and she likewise gave thanks to the Lord. 
And that's important because it speaks of all these other people that had gone before. It spoke about Elizabeth and Zacharias and the angels and the shepherds. All those and Simeon, all those that had gone before, likewise giving thanks to God. Well, she thanked God, she glorified God, she blessed God. Now, I would say that after a little look at the people involved in the time at the birth of Christ, it's pretty obvious what the spirit was around the birth of Christ. What we call the Christmas season, or the or Christmas spirit, I should say. Hi, let me interrupt very quickly to let you know and update you with some information. You can contact us at schoolofministryresources.org, all runs together, or contact me personally at all at landmarkstockton.com. We also have online services on Facebook at Landmark Stockton that all runs together. Or if you're interested in our church history sessions, you can look on YouTube under Landmark Stockton, two separate words in that place. We'd love to send you information and we're always so glad to hear from our listeners. So please feel free to contact us and we'll get right back to you. Thank you. Now back to our podcast. We could say it in one word. The spirit of Christmas is worship. And it's shown by our praise to God. It's a Godward focus. It was wonderful as relationships are not a focus on relationships on a human level, but as wonderful as family and friends and food and gifts and love and all of the things that we enjoy but that our focus should not be on individuals. But theirs was a Godward focus. One of adoration. One of praising God. One of blessing God. Let's also remember that some while later, Matthew chapter 2 talks about some wise men that come. And we can't leave them out. And they said this, We have seen His star in the east and we have come to worship Him. To worship Him. Every personality that is attached or around that birth of Christ had one response. Worship. To worship God. To worship God who would stoop down to save men by sending a Savior. That's the common response of every one of these. Even the unbelievers could see that. You know, that Herod the Great, and you remember the story... Even though he did not mean it, he told the wise men, Tell me where the child is that I may go and worship him. Even though he's lying, even though he's playing the hypocrite, there's no deviation from this as the response in the birth of a Messiah, the Christ, Jesus. Every single individual involved had the same response. If this season of Christmas, I say that for lack of a better term, it is a time for anything. It's a time for worship. And if there's no time for worship, then Christmas is utterly misused. It's misrepresented. It's misapplied. It is a time of worship. And worship is an attitude of the heart that is so filled with wonder 
thanksgiving at the person and the work of God, that it really comes to an overflowing into the praise and adoration. That's what we've seen with every one of these characters. There's a praise, there's an adoration, and it's growing. That's worship. Worship is an attitude that's expressed in praise and adoration. There's ever a time of year when you ought to be overflowing in your praise, in your adoring wonder at God's great mercy, for He sent His only begotten Son. Now is that time that we ought to remember that. And if you've not had that, if you've not been reflecting on your experience, now's the time to really think about the true meaning of the coming of Christ. That He came into this world, not staying as a baby, but becoming our Savior. Now we've left out one important individual. And I want to go back to Luke chapter 1 and verse 46. I didn't forget. Mary, the mother of our Lord. We find her responding in Luke chapter 1 verse 46. And by the way, she is the closest to the birth of Christ, isn't she? She's the one who bore Him. She had that intimacy with that child that no other person ever knows. She was the one person most directly touched by his birth, his own mother. And what is her response? Verse 46 of chapter 1. And she says, Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Verse 47. So then it comes back. It comes back to that very question. My soul magnifies the Lord. And then she launches into what I kind of call the term, I, I'll call it the hymn of incarnation. It is a psalm of inc incarnation. And without question, it is a magnificent psalm that's written in the New Testament, just as we have the whole book of Psalms. It's just as important, it's just as true as those Psalms of the Old Testament. She's bursting out of with her soul at the thought of redemption and the coming of Messiah. So she becomes then the last personality of all of these that we've touched on. But she has the identical response. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. She knew she was to be the mother of the Son of God. She knows this. But back in chapter 1 and verse 30, we see she had been told and she was troubled by the angel Gabriel that came. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. For behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and He will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give Him the throne of His father David. And He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of His kingdom there shall be no end. The angel said, Mary, you found favor with the Lord. In verse 31, she said that He was going to conceive and th that the name would be Jesus, because he would be great. He would be called the son of the highest. The Lord God giving him the throne of David, his father. And that of that throne there would be no end. God in human flesh. God dealing and indwelling in a body and being with us. She also knew his name was Emmanuel. 
God with us, Jesus, that he would save his people from their sins. Son of the highest. She knew that she would bear the Son of God. Look again to verse 41, where Elizabeth and Mary meet. And it happened when Elizabeth had greeted, uh, had the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And so here with, through the moving of the Holy Spirit, that whole emotion, the outflowing. Verse 43 says, why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? She confirmed that Mary would bear the Lord. That she would give birth to the Lord. That was a beautiful proof of Jesus' divinity. It was a beautiful proof, that affirmation, that when Jesus, remember, years later going to the cross, Mary could have stopped the the whole crucifixion. She could have put an end to it. She could have stopped because the Jewish priest and the leaders wanted to kill him for claiming to be God in the flesh. Mary could have spoken up. She could have said, wait a minute, he's deluded, he's my child. But she knew from this time, from before his birth, she knew that she was going to give birth to the Son of God. God in the flesh, the second person of the Holy Trinity. And she had to keep silent, knowing that he was being scourged, mocked. The beard pulled from his from his face, being crucified, the shame. So the sum of all of this is that Mary knew that she would be the mother of the Lord, and her heart was filled with praise. And can I just add this one note? I'm convinced that her praise went far beyond the simple fact that she would be the mother of the Lord. It went to the fact that she knew even greater than that, but that she would be redeemed by that Lord. Because that's what she says. The Lord that would be born of her. Redemption was the greater issue here. She would be saved. And that I believe that was the cause for Mary's praise. Because it says in verse 47. My spirit has rejoiced in God. What? My Savior. My Savior. She could see beyond the wonderful favor of bearing the Lord. To the greater things. She could see beyond of being redeemed by this child. She knew the physical relationship wasn't important. But what was important was the spiritual relationship. And I believe that Mary knew that and that she rejoiced not so much in the honor of being the mother to Messiah and in her own dishonor to be resolved in that place where her child would bear her sins, that she would recognize that. And I want to major on that point because I think it's very significant. Verse 46 and 47, Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. That's the proper attitude of worship. It's illustrated by Mary, isn't it? And that worship is internal. The word soul 
verse 46. And the word spirit, verse 47, are speaking of something that's very much internal. They speak of the inner being, the mind, the emotion, the will, all the moral, mental feelings, those impulses that come from the human heart. True worship swells from within. It's not external. There's many, many external things during this season. Let me just tell you that worship is not sitting, listening to a praise rock band. Worship is not sitting, looking through stained glass windows, or hearing beautiful organ music, or hearing a choir, or hearing a sermon, or reading a Bible, or carrying a Bible, or coming to church, or working and functioning in a ritual, lighting a candle, kneeling down, praying a prayer, or even taking the Lord's Supper. It's none of those. Those are functions, maybe that come from true worship, and true worship might occur, but they are not synonymous with true worship. True worship is on the inside. True worship flows from within. True worship is in the soul and the spirit and every part of the inner being, kind of like a great orchestra that comes and rises to a beautiful crescendo and is coming from the soul of Mary. She's saying, oh, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. This is something that's not external, but it's growing from what's inside. It's not superficial or shallow like so much of what's happening around in our world at this time of year. It is not worship because worship, true worship, as Mary has shown us, grows from within. It's that inner depth of being. Worship in a way is utterly spontaneous. It's an uncontrolled response to the wonder of what God has done. It's not calculated. It's not function by the clock. In fact, the Old Testament, Isaiah 29, 13, the prophet Isaiah said of God's people, this people draw near me with their mouth. They draw near me with their lips. They do honor me. Now, that sounds good, doesn't it? That sounds like they worship. They draw near with their mouth, their lips. They honor me. But he goes on to say, but have removed their heart far from me. What's he saying? He's saying it's all superficial. It's all on the surface. It's shallow. It's all just for show. Jesus said, God is a spirit, John 4, 24. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. It comes from deep within. True worship is worship in the Spirit. That's why David said in Psalm 139, Search me, O God, and know my heart, and see if there be any wicked way in me. We've got to look at the inside. We have to look at the source of true response. The attitude of worship comes from within. It's that which springs out of a heart that's so utterly consumed with the reality of God and the wonder of His person that it expresses itself through the outward extremities, through those outward faculties. But it begins deep within. For so many, this is a very hard time of year. 
the expectation of what it should be. But we learn some deep truths to help us have a correct spirit within. So let us, as children of God, as a child of God, I'm talking to you, help others to see the real deep truth about the fact of Jesus Christ. He is born as our personal Savior. He has come as Savior of the world. But that means that He has come to save you. He has come as an individual Savior. He was born God in the flesh, the God-man. But He lived a sinless life. God could have just brought Him in at 30 years of age and plucked Him in there and said, here's the Messiah. But He had to live as the second Adam. And He knew all of the heartaches and He knew everything that you go through, that I go through, He understood all of that. He was man complete and He was God complete. Now I don't fully understand that, but I know that it's true from the pages of Scripture. God in the flesh, sinless in life, and He dies on a cruel cross for you, for me, to pay for our sin debt. That's the love of God. That's what this season talks about. The love of God, that God would come to this earth so that you and I could have eternal life. That's the message that ought to be flowing joyously from our hearts. Thank you for listening. We hope you've enjoyed the message. If you want to hear Paul in person and are in the Stockton, California area, we invite you to join us at Landmark Missionary Baptist Church, 301 East Alpine Avenue. That's near the University of the Pacific. He brings the Bible message every Sunday at 11 a.m. and other times as listed. We trust you've been encouraged, challenged, or generally built up spiritually. If this lesson has sparked questions on this or other topics, please see our contact information in the description or email us at sclofministry at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you.